Hey, welcome to Church at the Well. This is Live on Mission Week at our church. Now, um, it used to be called Global Week, which is kind of interesting because, full, full confession here, the reason we called it Global Week is so we wouldn't have to use the word missions. Like I grew up, many of us grew up, some of us grew up in churches where the week that emphasized kind of focus on missions and missionaries was called Missions Week. And we named it Global Week here because, I don't know about you, but in the world I live in and the people I connect with outside the church, missions is a bad word. Missionary is a bad word. Um, and I, I get it. Uh, many of you in high school have been learning about the impact of colonialism over the, the past several hundred years, where um, primarily Western countries moved in and took over in other countries and imposed their culture, imposed their way of living, imposed their religion and their faith. Oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes the Christian religion. And so much damage was done through that, intentionally and even unintentionally. Um, and the violence associated with that, and just the way that that was ignoring the value and the uniqueness of the cultures and the people that were already there. Certainly in our own country, we have been repenting rightly of the sins that we committed against indigenous peoples in the way that we brought colonialism and tried to rid um, the people who were originally here of their own culture and their language and their religion. And so there's lots of reasons why this idea of missions or is wrapped up in colonialism and why it's a negative word for many people. In fact, one of our international workers, Lizette Lavoie, who has been working for the last 30 years in Guinea, West Africa, when she was at the age of 40 here in Canada, uh, feeling like she wanted to go overseas to work in Africa, to work in Guinea, one of her coworkers, who was a teacher, said to her with kind of disappointment and chagrin and even a little bit of angst, like, oh, so you're going to go and destroy the culture of people in Guinea. Is that what you're going to do? Right? There's a legitimate fear, maybe in your heart or maybe in the hearts of the people who know you or know the church or whatever, of like this idea of missions or colonialization or, you know, it's not a good thing to, to force people to believe what you believe. There's legitimate fear with that. And so where that we have landed with that, I think as Canadians in this culture and maybe in other parts of the world is, we have two mantras that we live by when it comes to the world. One is love the planet. Love the planet. And by that we mean, yes, take care of the earth itself, but also enjoy travel, learn about other cultures, and people love food. Oh, I love travel, or I love learning about other cultures, or I love seeing other sites, or I love being cultured, or I love this type of food, or that type of food, or having a broader ethnic palate. That's what we mean, love the planet. Nobody ever thinks that's a dangerous thing. Everyone's like, yeah, no, that's good, that's a good thing, that's something that'd be fun to do, or you should do, and there's nothing wrong with that. Love the planet, and when it comes to the people of the planet, planet, live and let live. You live your life and let other people live theirs. Like don't mess with their culture. Don't try to change them. Certainly don't try to convince them <clears throat> to believe in a religious sense or a faith sense what you believe. Just live and let live. Love the planet, live and let live. Those are the two mantras that we have as Canadians when it comes to the world around us. But there's two problems with that. One is, as I'm, I'm going to hope to kind of explain to you today, live and let live and love the planet can actually be a very selfish and unloving way to live. 
I know that it comes from a heart maybe of wanting to be peace-loving and kind and, and just let's live with everybody and like ideas of tolerance, all of which are good. But unintentionally even, it can actually breed or lead to a very apathetic, unloving, and selfish way to live. And I'm going to show you why. And that, therefore, we cannot just settle for love the planet and live and let live. Secondly, for people of God, um, that is not the way God has called us to live. God actually invites us to do more than just love the planet and live and let live. Um, it's actually an invitation to join him on his mission. We can't actually get away from the word mission. And that's why we called it live on mission this week, because God is actually inviting us as people, all people um, from every ethnic background, men and women, boys and girls to join him on his mission. In fact, the entire story of scripture <clears throat> is that God is on a mission <clears throat> and he invites us to join him in it. <laughs> and here's how one of the writers of the biography of Jesus describes the heart <laughs> of God's mission in the world. He says this, for God so loved the world. I mean, first of all, that should just put us a little bit at ease and say, okay, what is this mission that God is on? Is it colonialization? No, God so loved the world. This is the, defines the heart of God and the mission that he is on. And he invites us to join him in it. And I want to just take some time today to explain to you what I think living on mission with God can be and is the most loving way to live in the world that we live in. To do that, we're actually going to go uh, through a book in the Old Testament of Scripture, which is significant for a number of reasons. Um, some of you don't really know how the Bible's laid out. It's actually a library of 66 books, um, uh, 39 of which are called the Old Testament or the first half, you know, and 22 are the second, or 27 are the second. But um, oftentimes, and whether you grew up in the church or not, maybe you have this idea like, oh, the Old Testament, that's, that's the angry God, the wrathful God, and the New Testament, that's about Jesus who comes and rescues us from the angry God. And nothing could be further from the truth. And that's why I want to camp out actually in this book in the Old Testament um, called, the book is called Jonah. It's about a man named Jonah, you figure. And it's, they don't exactly know who wrote it. It might actually be he who wrote it himself, Jonah, as a little bit of, of a confessional. And we'll find out why I say it that way. Just to shorthand, we're not going to read the whole book. It's only four chapters, but let me just shorthand the story for you. And if you grew up in church, you had a, like a kid's Bible growing up, maybe you know some of this, um, or you saw some random Veggie Tales movie. It's about uh, this guy, Jonah, who's a prophet, and God comes and says to him, the prophets were God's messengers, God's representatives, and God says, hey, go to the city of Nineveh, which was the capital city of Assyria. Interestingly, Nineveh today is called Mosul, and it was in the news several years ago when ISIS actually uh, took uh, Mosul and in, in order in Iraq as its capital city. And so that's the ancient city of Nineveh. God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh, which is the capital city of Assyria, who were Israel's enemies. And it, Jonah was part of Israel, the nation of Israel. Go to the enemies and tell them. And it says, he says, preach against it, which I know sounds like old kind of wrath biblical language, but basically God was saying, tell them, like tell them that they're heading in the wrong direction. Tell them that their ways of relating to each other are destructive. And we don't know exactly what some of those ways are, but we know one of the things God was always telling his people was not to adopt the ways of some of the cultures around them because often they were um, barbaric. Often they involved the extreme mistreatment of women and children, sometimes even child sacrifice. And so we don't know exactly what was going on in Nineveh, but basically God was saying, it can't go on anymore. Jonah, go tell them to stop. 
Go tell them I'm going to intervene unless they do something, unless they change their ways. And so Jonah is going to go to Nineveh and but God says, so here's what I want you to do. And Jonah says, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and he goes the other direction. And through a series of events, God intervenes, one of which is to send this great fish that swallows Jonah and um, spits him out on the shore. It's kind of gross. Um, and Jonah finally says, okay, fine, fine. I'll go to Nineveh. And so he goes to Nineveh and he walks through the city and, um, and tells them, hey, you're going the wrong way. Your ways are destructive. God's going to intervene. God's going to punish you if you keep going this way. You have to stop. He even goes up to the king and the nobles and the people in it. And, and that's what he does. Now, it's highly likely that I missed a lot of things in Sunday school and wasn't paying attention. Okay, so I'm just gonna, right up front, that's highly possible. But my sense of this story was basically that. God says, do this. Jonah was disobedient, says, no, I'm gonna do this. So God intervenes, <laughs> gets him swallowed and vomited by a huge fish. So Jonah finally says, fine, fine, I'll do it. And he goes to Nineveh. That's kind of basically what I understood the story was. Um, which is a huge problem because it totally, I think, hijacks what the key point of this book is. And in fact, the section we're going to read, I think is the most important, what the whole story is about. And yet, if we think that that's primarily what I've just said to you, or whether you've heard it that way or de debated that way, it's hijacked in three ways. One, people just kind of get caught up in the drama of it as like, oh, Jonah, and he's getting, he gets thrown into the sea, swallowed by a fish, spit up, and all that kind of stuff. Or we get caught in debates, well, what, was it actually, is that actually what happened? Like, how big was this fish? Was it a whale? Could it actually have swallowed? Could he have survived in the belly of this thing? Where did he get vomit. So we get all those kinds of conversations. Or probably the worst thing is, um, which I think was kind of the de facto takeaway we had as kids was, hey, if God says to do something, you better do it. Otherwise, you're going to get swallowed by a fish or something bad will happen to you. You better obey. And all of that has hijacked what I think is the main point of this whole story. What is actually um, the heart of the mission of God that invites you and I to live on mission in a way that is so loving in the world around us. And, and we're going to listen to it because it actually rescues us from this kind of debate about all this stuff and holds up a mirror to our face saying, live and let live and love the planet is not enough. You have to look at this more closely of how you live and relate to the world. So we're going to read it in a moment. It happens at this point where Jonah goes through the city of Nineveh and says, hey, you got to stop doing what you're doing. And in fact, they do. They listen. They turn to God and they say, God, we're sorry. We'll change our ways. And God has compassion on them, grace and forgiveness. And he doesn't intervene. He doesn't punish them. And right after that, here's where we pick up the story. Listen to how Jonah reacts. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also so many animals? Friends, the point of this story is not that God said go this way and Jonah went the other way. The point of the story is that Jonah's heart was nothing like God's heart. 
And God was inviting Jonah to have a heart like his. This story, this whole interaction reveals that Jonah's heart was nothing like God's heart and God was inviting him to have a heart like his. God was actually inviting Jonah to become more like him. Like, why did God want Jonah to go to Nineveh in the first place? Like, this is so not a story of God says, do this, and we say how, you know, jump, and we say how high. Why did God want Jonah to go to Nineveh in the first place? To Jonah's enemies, to, quote, foreigners, to another place. Why? Because God wanted to show his love and compassion. In fact, Jonah, we know, Jonah says it. He's like, I knew it. He's mad, right? He's mad at God. He's like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew you would do this. I knew. He says, it's, it's almost comical, but sad. Jonah's like, he's so angry. God's like, why are you angry? Yeah, I knew it. I knew you were gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. I knew it. <laughs> I knew you would act like this. God wanted to show his grace and compassion and forgiveness and love to the people of Nineveh, a people who were making destructive decisions, a people who didn't know him. And so he sends Jonah, his representative, that's what the prophets were, to go and speak to them. And Jonah didn't want any part of it. God says, I want to show my love and grace and compassion to this country. Will you join me? And Noah's like, no. Jonah's like, no, I'm not going to join you. That's why he went the other way in the first place. He even says, you know why I went to Tarshish? You know, I went the opposite way. Why I didn't go there? Because I knew you were gracious. I knew you were compassionate. I, this is so beautiful. He's angry, but he's telling us, I know this is God's heart. This is not some Joe on the street. He was a prophet. He was a messenger. He was a representative of God. And God was sending him to his sworn enemies. In fact, we know a little bit of Jonah's background that he probably would have been involved as a prophet in helping the king of Israel reclaim some territory that Assyria had taken from them. And now God was saying, yeah, I want you to go to your sworn enemies, the people who have made life difficult for you, the people you don't know about or care about. And I want you to tell them that I know about them, that I care about them, and I love them. And Jonah's like, I don't want any part of it because I know what you're going to do. I know your heart. This is fascinating, right? I mean, deep down... It's ugly. It's kind of, we see Jonah's heart ugly up front. And this is, nobody told me this when they told me the story of the fish who swallowed this guy. He was a racist. He didn't, he had a, he had a bent and an anger towards a certain people group. He did not want them to be forgiven. He didn't, he wanted them to be destroyed. In fact, at one point in the book, it says he, he got up on a mountain after he went and preached them, watching, waiting for the fire to rain down from heaven to destroy. I mean, that's how much he hated them. And then he's mad at God because God didn't do it. It's like, not only did he hate them, but deep down, he was quite happy to receive the love and the grace and the compassion and the forgiveness of God for himself. He just didn't want anyone else to have it. He wanted it for himself. He didn't want anyone else to have it. And it's the ugliness of Jonah's heart, in a sense, up against the heart of God. And the book ends, uh, part of what was read for you, the book ends, the last verse actually gives us such a window and insight, a deeper insight into just how much um, love, compassion, mercy, and grace God's heart has. Here's what God says to him. He says, oh, you're angry. Are you really? And then he says, look, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their, hand, their left, right hand from their left? 
and also many animals. <laughs> What's with the animals? We'll talk about that. But God's saying, to, and he says three really significant things in this verse that ends the book, that ends the confessional, um, that describe God's heart. He says, should I not have concern, which is, which is actually better translated compassion or pity. In other words, God's just saying, I don't just love the planet. I love these people. I love the people of the planet. I love the actual, I see them, Jonah. Should I not, and that word compassion, which is some of your translation might have some of the, should I not love that great city? But compassion's probably the best word. Compassion means to empathize with or suffer with, co-passion, to share the pain and the burden. God's saying, I love these people. I share their pain and their burden. I have concern for them, each of them. There's hundreds of thousands of them, and I love them. Should I not have concern for them, Jonah? And why, what was he concerned about? He says this, that they don't know their left hand from their right hand, which is not about God saying they're stupid. He's saying they don't understand how destructive their decisions are. Not knowing the left hand from the right hand doesn't mean they were uneducated. It meant that they, were, they didn't realize or they were caught in a life and a behavior that was destroying them and each other. And they didn't realize they needed someone to, to, to say to them, don't do that anymore. He says, that's, that's the left and right. And then thirdly, he says, and all that cattle, which is God an animal lover? I mean, God is an animal lover, not cats probably. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't at me, okay? He loves all animals. God loves all the creatures he made. But why does he say the cattle? The cattle were the economy. It's like God saying, I see this great city, hundreds of thousands of people, and not just them and the way they're relating, but their well-being, even economically, they're thriving on the whole. I care about all of it. Don't you, Jonah? I have great concern for them. Do you? And obviously the short answer for Jonah was no. I mean, that just shows us how beautiful God's heart is. And it also shows us how ugly the heart of human beings can be. Like, let's not judge Jonah quickly. Maybe we say he should have known better. He was a prophet. He was, man, he was a racist. He was so angry. But in many ways, we have those same issues. We have those same things within our hearts. To be honest, friends, to say I love the planet and live and let live can be just as selfish and just as apathetic. You know why? I think part in part, we say we love the planet because of what the planet gives to us. Like when we dream about traveling or we love watching Amazing Race or wherever it is we go in the world, we're not actually thinking about the hundreds of thousands of people that live in those cities, that live in those countries, that live in those places. We're thinking about, oh, I really like their food. Oh, I'd like to be a bit more cultured. Oh, I've always wanted to travel to X. I've always wanted to see X. We're actually loving the planet for ourselves. We think about ourselves, what we gain from it. And when we say live and let live, unfortunately, it ends up being more like what John Lennon's song was, live and let die because so many people are dying in the world in these countries. And live and let leave, which basically means I'll let you stay in the condition you're in, which is this, to assume that everything's fine. You're fine, I'm fine, they're fine, we're fine. That country's fine, we're, uh, this country's fine. And we know it's not. Live and let live is actually, can, can be, not always, but it can be a way even just subtly to say, I don't care enough about what's going on in the rest of the world to do anything about it. They will just live in the conditions they're in, in poverty, injustice, slavery, famine, whatever. And not just their country, our country too. And so live and let live and love the planet is not enough. It actually reveals that our hearts are not quite 
like God's. When God says, um, should I not have compassion on that great city that don't know their left hand from their right hand? My mind thinks about my friend, Lisa Chung. Lisa left Toronto to go live in Cambodia and has worked there for many years amongst girls who have been sold into the sex trade. And she's trying to introduce them to Jesus and get them to get out of the sex trade and equip them with education. But you know what she's finding out? She's also working with their parents because many of them at the age of three or four or five are sold into the sex slave industry by their parents or their grandparents for television sets. That's what I think of when he says they don't know their left hand from their right hand. Lisa's trying to help the parents understand human beings are more valuable than personal electronics. It's actually better for you to invest in your young daughter's education to help her. And she said in some of the villages, these young girls, instead of them being sold into slavery, the parents are actually trying to get them into school. And now the parents are proud because their son, their daughter is the first person to graduate from their village. Live and let live is not enough. It makes me think of my friend Damien, who's back here now, but for the la- we were roommates in university, but for the last 10 years, he and his family have lived in the Middle East, bringing Jesus to uh, millions of people who don't know Jesus. And friends of his here have said, well, why would you go there? Why would you try to convince them to believe what they believe? You know what he says to them? Because most of the men in that country still beat their wives. And oftentimes they have the power of the law behind them. Because many of the children in those homes are still abused regularly, and there's no way that the perpetrators are ever going to see the light of justice. He says, that's why I'm going, live and let live is not enough. It makes me think of Lizette, who when her friend, her teacher friend said to her, oh, so you're going to destroy the culture of Guinea. And Lizette said to her in her own inimitable way, yeah, some of it. The parts that still practice uh, female circumcision because of their religious beliefs. The parts that actually, that only weapon a woman has against a culture dominated by men is AIDS. And so she uses it to get back in them because she didn't choose it in the first place. She's like, yeah, I'm going to change that. I'm going to destroy the culture where the police give their weapons out to the gangs and the gangs can commit crimes overnight and then bring the money back and they split it with the police. She's like, yeah, I'm going to destroy that part of the culture. Live and let live is selfish and apathetic. It's not enough to love the world. It is not love, and it is not the heart of God. And so friends, when we are invited to live on mission, first and foremost, God is inviting us to begin to share, capture, to grab, to be infected by his heart, to get God's heart. And I I, I don't know about you, but for me this week, live on mission week comes at the perfect time. Because in many ways, these last two years have given us very many permissions to be selfish. In fact, we've been told, cut ourselves off from other people. Stay away from other people. And we've been obsessed with our own rights and freedoms and all of the disturbances that have been happening in our lives. Not to minimize any of those things. And yet, the problems that persist in the world around us, the crises, the injustice, the poverty that existed long before the pandemic continue on. And I need a jolt out of my selfishness, out of my perspective that has been so you know, navel-gazing, looking at my own life, forgetting of the world that God invites me to love with him, to join his mission. And so I believe and I'm praying that this is coming at the perfect time for us as the people of God. In a moment, I want to share with you what I think is a beautiful beginning point and maybe the key to starting to have a little bit more of God's heart and something actually we can do, even if this feels like, oh, I don't know where to start. I want to give you a beautiful place to do that. But before we do, 
We're just going to pause and the band's going to lead us in a song that maybe is familiar to, to many of you or if you've been a part of our church, you've sung it before. But there's a line in the song that says, break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I have for your kingdom's cause. In other words, everything I have for the mission that you are on, God. And so we can just pause here and just worship God. It's, it says, I see his love and mercy. You know, we can worship him for his heart like that, that he has a heart like that for the whole world. And just ask his heart, um, you know, to infect ours a little bit more. So let's do that together. And then I'm just going to close with what I think is a beautiful next step for us to be able to have a heart that's more like God's.
One of the most profound, uh, but I think simple ways <laughs> to begin to have a heart like God's, and this is just from my own experience and partly why we do a week like this as a church, is to learn to love people who love the world. If you recognize, like, like I do in my heart, that I don't have a love for the world like God's, we can learn to love people who love the world. And here's what I mean. We as a church family, um, there's about almost 500 uh, church families in our denomination in Canada, and we support collectively over 250 international workers, people who work around the world, who have gone to different places in the world um, because they were following God on his mission to that place. That's not the only way we follow God on mission, but for some people, it means they actually leave where they live and go live somewhere else to follow God. And there are 250 of them in our uh, church family and a couple that we feel very personally attached to. And part of what we do in Live on Mission Week is introduce you to or connect you to or reconnect you to some of these people who love the world. And that as we get to know them and as we learn to love them, their heart for the world becomes kind of our heart for the world. We get more of the love of God in us as we love the people who love the world. That's how this begins. And especially for those of us who live here and aren't actively living in other parts of the world, we need to connect to them. Um, this week in your home groups, I'm really excited because you're going to get to know Wade and Kara Kennedy a bit more, the Kennedys who work in Central Asia. So that's a part of home group this week is get to know you, get to know the Kennedys a bit more. Um, you're going to be able to watch a video and they're going to explain a little bit of what they're doing. But I've known them for many years. I actually knew them um, years ago before even I was married, before they were married. I knew them when they just met each other. And as young adults, they were young professionals in the city of Toronto working in finance and engineering. And after they got married, shortly after they got married, they just really felt uh, God's call to go and love the people of another place. And so they were invited to start an adventure travel company in Central Asia. And uh, just as a kind of a one or two year experience. And then as they were there, they literally said, God has given us a heart, his heart for a people we had never known before. We actually feel like we love this great city and we want to be here. And so many, many years later, <clears throat> um, and you're going to get to hear from them, they now have started an institutional cleaning company that employs over 150 people. And you'll hear this in home groups, but I'll tell you this anyways. One of the beautiful things of that is that's kind of, you know, when God says, uh, should I not care about the cattle of Nineveh? It's like, should I not care about the economic thriving of that city? Well, they have found that their cleaning company that employs over 150 people is actually loving that city in a couple of profound ways. One is... Um, many of the men in that city, because there's not many jobs, they leave and go to Russia for work, which means they leave their families for years at a time, which means sometimes they're susceptible to affairs or they have wives in different places that people don't know about. So it actually seeds all kind of destruction uh, in their way of living that starts with just the fact that there aren't enough jobs. And so actually providing employment um, in the city where they live so they can stay is actually helping them not just find money, but actually help bring healing and wholeness to their families. 
And they've also found that many of the uh, people they employ are women who are on their own, whose husbands have left or divorced them, whatever, and they need ways to support their family. And so this is actually a place not only to find employment, but to bring healing and wholeness to them. And as they see the Kennedys and their love for Jesus, they start to understand the love of Jesus for them. This is what it means over many, many years. And so, so excited for you to introduce them. Some of you actually have met them before. I had the privilege of being out there a few years ago. There's a picture up there, I think, of our senior high team that went and ran a day camp with them. Like we do Kindle Kids Day Camp here. They ran it for them there in Central Asia. And so that was really an amazing thing to be a part of. And so these are the ways, and we're hoping to send another team in the next couple of years. Uh, The Kennedys will actually be home here in Canada for a year starting this June. So you will get to learn to love people who love the world. And then, of course, today is Market Sunday. Today's Market Sunday, where um, 11 years ago, we got the chance to partner with a woman named Lizette Lavoie. And you'll see her picture up there, along with a Ghanaian couple, Lazar and Faith, that she met there many years ago. And of course, that's handsome Rube there. Looking, uh, you can all mention, you saw Rube in his younger days. Pretty cool. I like the pants as well. The pants are awesome. Um, But Lizette and Lazar and Faith started um, what's called the Kids in Crisis Center where they look after children who are infected or affected by HIV. And, um, and they've had many kids go through their center. Some of them, who, the ones who don't have HIV, they're able to try to find homes for and adopt. adopt. But the ones who do are going to stay at the center for life, partly because they need the meds in order to stay alive and healthy, but partly because this center, this community, Lazar, Lizette, and Faith, they love them. They love this. This is their family. They've adopted them into that place. And we get the chance uh, this year to raise $10,000 to send uh, these kids to school. I think there's a picture of there of them with their little school. It's a bit blurry. That's Lizette's fault. Okay, we're asking her for better pictures, but she's too busy working to send us great pictures. But these, those, some of those kids, um, I, I have pictures of them when they were little, when they were two, three, and four, because I, I got a chance to go on team. We've actually sent four teams there over the last uh, several years. And we get the chance to raise $10,000 today to send 20 kids to school for the year. And that is um, for their uniforms, for their um, for shoes, for their school fees, for supplies, and for lunches for the year. There are 13 um, HIV-positive kids at the center who are enrolled in school. And so, and then we're adding seven more to make a total of 20, which would 500 each is $10,000, so that Lizette can hopefully sponsor some other kids in the area. But this is what's so amazing is because of their HIV, and I didn't know this, we found out when we went there, it actually uh, impairs their ability to learn. So they need extra help in school. So often they're behind in school, or people just give up on them and say there's no point. But Lizette and Lazar and Faith believe in them, believe that they deserve the opportunities because of the love of God. And so they're progressing school. Many of them, they're a little bit behind in the grade level they should be, but they're moving up and their pace is increasing and they're learning. And this is such a gift to be able to give them. And so uh, Market Sunday today on Zoom, I'm going to invite you at 1230. If you're watching online, if you're watching one of our services, get home or get on a computer. You can find it on our website, thewell.ca. Get onto the Zoom. There's an auction where our kids have been given um, they take a micro loan, they invest it in a business, and they create something that we buy, um, which not only is, is uh, empowering our kids to say, hey, I can make a difference in the world, but also this money raised gets to go and support um, uh, these kids and send them to school for this year. And anything over the $10,000 total target will be split between our sites to invest in local initiative, to love the cities that we are in, in King and Bolton and Vaughn. So we're so excited for you to do that today. So I encourage you to jump on to Zoom uh, for that. And uh, hopefully in the next uh, couple of years, as things open up again, we'll be able to send another team to Guinea and you'll have a chance. Maybe you'll say, yeah, I want to go. I want to be there. 
These are ways, friends, that we can learn to love people who love the world and in so doing, get the heart of God. You know, in the last couple of years, as we have been going through a pandemic, we've, um, we've used and heard the word immunized a lot. Um, whether it's herd immunity or vaccine immunity or whatever it is. We've talked about, right, trying to get immune so that the disease cannot infect us. And yet I think one of the great dangers in a season like this is that we have been immune, become immune to the suffering, to the plight, and to the need of other people as it's been very easy to protect ourselves. That's something we don't want to be immunized against. We do not want to be immune <laughs> to the plight and to the suffering of other people. And so I'm praying that in this Live on Mission week, you will not be immune. Your defenses will not be up to the heart of God, that the heart of God would actually infect your heart and my heart. So we would actually learn to love, not just love the planet and live and let live, but actually love the world.